Oh, tell the experience when we after our, the screening in New York, <laughs> the premiere. <laughs> uh, the previous screening it had the original ending with the gunshot, and then it went to black. And I told the guys from NRG, I said, you know, let the audience sit in the dark for a second and then bring the lights up slowly give it like 10 seconds and then let them know the movie's over you know what I mean let but of course goes gunshot lights immediately come on and they're passing out these cards what are your favorite characters what's your favorite <laughs> no in the movie and I'm standing in the back of the theater I think it was with Bob Shea and this three women combined one of them says to the other one the people who made that movie should be killed <laughs> that's great and they all look like you know, yeah they all look like first grade teachers or something it was just like but the recruiting form said would you like to see a new movie starring Brad Pitt in from Legends of the Fall yeah Legends of the Fall and, and Morgan Freeman and then parentheticals driving Miss Daisy <laughs> so, I don't know what the fuck they thought they were going to see but but I'm telling you from the reaction of the people in there it was like they were just they were bristling they could not they couldn't have been Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are continuing our way through the filmography of David Fincher. Um, so in this episode, um, it's not like last time we had a, you know, kind of a first and last thing going on. Hopefully not last, but first and most recent. Got dark um, there for a second. If, if Mike had his way, he would end it with Mike because it was so bad. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> I, I need, you know, a, a panic room too. How about that? That would be the, the capper. Mm. We'll, let's just, we'll get there. Let's just <laughs> pump the brakes on Panic Room, we'll get there. Because in this episode, we are taking, I guess, his second and his third movie in Seven and the Game. So, of course, we will start with Seven, and sometimes I forget how many movies Fincher has in his filmography. I mean, just in general, as we've talked about, but also movies that are like seminal movies that mm. feel like... This could be any other director's like, oh, that's the one. David Fincher did Seven. And Seven is definitely one of those. I remember like when this came out in 95. This is a movie I definitely saw more than once in the theater um, and definitely bought more than once on physical media. Like this is a movie that got a lot of play for me. It had a really um, bare bones it, DVD, right? Didn't it, did it have like it, one of the it, little it had nothing. clasp covers sure that did. Warner Brothers used yes, to do? Like, there's the new line thing. And then you got the, uh, the serial killer notebook. One, do you remember yep. that? Um, yep, I do. Yeah, Fincher, mm-hmm. Fincher was on top of that. Thankfully, Fight Club, I think, just came out of the gate with an awesome right. DVD package. But Seven was definitely a double dip. And I will say that's been like one of the most enjoyable things about going through his movies again this time is he gives great directors commentary. Uh, and the, wish I could and have joined you, Dave. I'm, I told you I was like, yeah, I'm gonna rewatch Seven because I did it for another podcast. I watched the game <laughs> last year. I'm like, I'll watch both of them with the extra features and commentary. Uh, I did none of that. Um, and I think I, I, you know, blew my wad with wreckage and, and rage for Alien. I don't know why I committed yeah. to three hours on Alien 3, <laughs> but these, you know, films that I much prefer, I was just like, yeah, I'm good. I'll just have Dave can have and all these the trivia. Are, <laughs> these are things you could just put on in the background. You've seen these movies so many times. What? 
you just listen to him talk. I, and it you know, I'm going to shout it'd, out my... It'd be like a two-hour podcast. My co-host, right. uh, Webb, on Trilogy and Theory, uh, used to make a habit of ripping audio commentaries as MP3s because for, for something like Seven, presumably, which you've seen a lot, he's seen a lot, uh, you could. I could do that without the visual... Uh, okay, in this scene, or look what Brad's doing. I probably would have an idea of what they're talking about, um, and using them on my iPhone as an MP3 file, like a podcast. Uh, but I never quite nerded out to that extent. Mm, kind of lament yeah. that a little bit, because I could definitely listen to the seven commentary track at work. But I did not. So mm. I'm coming in with Tragic. all the expertise of, yeah, I watched that a couple months ago. It's pretty good. <laughs> the, the Mike Dennison yeah. special. Mm-hmm. That is pretty good. Um, so actually watching that commentary kind of not solved, but explained a problem that I've had with this movie okay. for quite a while. Like ever since I've watched it is obviously love Brad Pitt as an actor. I think he is, I think sometimes he's weirdly underrated because he's like good looking and a movie star. And we like forget that he's actually a terrific actor as well. He also tends to play. We did a Patreon episode of, uh, for interview with the vampire. He tends to play the, um, I guess you would call it like the straight man part. And even here, uh, even though he's the, you know, the young hotshot cop, he doesn't get the sort of cool philosophical, uh, bits of dialogue that Morgan Freeman gets. I mean, when you got Morgan Freeman, you give him the philosophy. Even, even the I mean, monologue that... <laughs> that Pitt gets is him expressing fear and doubt and that the, the car ride over when he's talking about being on the job and firing his weapon. It's, it's not the most glamorous monologue for him. And the rest of the time, he's kind of like a, a dumb blonde. You know, he's kind of like a jock he in this movie. He's a himbo. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. It's great. Um, but the thing that I always notice about this movie that always kind of like, it's not a bad performance by any stretch, but it's very twitchy. Hmm. Um, and there's some of that in Brad Pitt's filmography in general. Of course, you know, it works in things like 12 Monkeys, right? He's supposed to be twitchy. He's in, in a side. <laughs> works perfectly. But I realized in this, it's because, and I found this out through the director's commentary, that I guess like early on in filming, he like, he injured himself. Like he broke, he broke a bone in his arm. So he's in a cast. It's in the uh, from... chase sequence over the car, isn't it? Like, yeah, I believe exactly. he fell jumping a car, and I guess you know they everyone swarmed. Like, oh no, Brad Pitt's down. Like our careers <laughs> oh, are over. Uh, so they worked it in with him <laughs> falling off the uh, the fire escape ladder. I guess they doubled yep. back and gave a reason that his arms like that. So wait, are you yeah. saying he's he's twitchy because he? Uh, he had a physical injury in this one? No, no. He's twitchy because he's hiding the cast for most oh, of the movie. Okay. Um, so he's like, when he's gesturing, he's usually gesturing with his off hand, which looks really awkward and strange. Mm. Um, so it comes off as like kind of like he's a little bit imbalanced, which actually kind of works because it creates this weird uh, like dividing line between him and uh, him and Somerset. Because uh, Somerset's very calm and very relaxed and telling him how it is and knows the ways of the world and he as you mentioned is the young hotshot and that actually kind of works for that but like the way he moves his body in this i'm always kind of like nothing about this looks human what are you doing and Mm. i realize now oh (laughs) that so there's a lot of scenes with him walking around and gesturing but he's got like his hand in his pocket for no conceivable reason and he's gesturing very angrily but he's like hiding one arm and i'm like okay now I get it. 
now now this performance makes a lot more sense. I'm betting um, that the Ocean's Eleven commentary track is not as interesting as far as why is Brad Pitt always eating? And it's like why is he eating everything? Because he thought it was amusing. <laughs> you know, that's that's probably the answer. That's it. That's probably true. Yes. Um, but you know, you mentioned kind of the the kind of hot shot, the dumb blonde, if you will. And one of the things I, I have nothing against blondes, such... by the way. No, you don't. At all. You're a big blonde fan. <laughs> I understand. Um, just in case your wife is listening to this, which she never will. No, uh, of course not. Absolutely not. No, no fear there. <laughs> but I had this moment as I'm watching the beginning of this movie again, and this very it it fits into the buddy cop formula in a lot of ways. But of course, it's not a comedy. It's very heavy and drama based. And I realized. Well, really smart decision he makes is when he first introduces these characters, they're like walking and talking and walking in the rain and everything is in shadow. So even when you get these kind of one liners here and there and these funny moments, there's never a moment, I think, where you're you're afraid it's going to delve too far comedic because all the comedy is really snarky. Um, and a lot of the comedy actually is Brad Pitt when he's on his own, <laughs> when he's you know very mad at Dante Alighieri for some reason because he wrote a poem. Uh, that he doesn't understand, uh, even when he has the cliff notes, uh, which is one of my favorite Brad Pitt moments in this movie. Uh, despite the use of uh, a gay slur, is still very entertaining. Going back to the very cursing. jockish nature of the character of yeah. my reading of him. Dante. Goddamn poetry writing faggot piece of shit. Fucker. Um, yes. I, I like... <laughs> I mean, there are some uh, some... I guess throwaway, not gags, but bits, uh, where you've got the, uh, the drill instructor from Full Metal Jacket. Uh, yeah. and, you know, Morgan Freeman is, is definitely playing the, the trope that like two days to retirement. In this case, it's a week. You know, we gotta get the seven exactly. days in. Um, and, you know, he, <laughs> with some, uh, real human insight into this is like, I cannot let this be my last week. Like, I want nothing to do with this. Of course, since it's the movie, he gets dragged into it, but he attempts to walk away and they cut to, uh, the, the jock, the blonde pit sitting at his desk. And, you know, he's watched this exchange between these two guys who have worked together, presumably for decades. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, his boss says nothing to him, just looks at him and he's like, I'm all over it. Just let you know, I'm all over it. <laughs> Love it. Love this character. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I, I do really like the interactions between Pitt and Freeman. And this was around the time where I was like, oh, Brett Pitt, like, he's got something. You like, were before that, there was a lot of... really insulting Grandpa Hiro, who loves Legends of the Fall, which Dude, I know. I listened this. to that podcast, Jeez. and I was Oof. shocked. Um, I was uncomfortable. And that, <laughs> and that, was the, that was the movie where I was like, eh, I don't know if Brett Pitt is going to be... Anything more than a matinee idol. And that's fine. He's got the long hair. He's coming in on horseback. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's got the hat. There's a lot going on. It's wet. Although, we all appreciate it. Let's talk about men's hair for a little bit. I would argue that Brad Pitt's haircut in this had far greater influence on men's hair. This little short, kind of spiky thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, this dominated uh, the next 10 years. Probably of men's hair. It's like it's like this and the Clooney Caesar cut, right? These were the, the two. Clooney Caesar cuts easier to pull off. 
<laughs> you can say, yeah, I'm doing the Clooney, which is also like minimum up Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's no, no styling there, yeah. which, you know, it's uh, funny. It's like, man, it always looks sexier on Clooney. I wonder why that is. Cause it's attached I to his why. face. Yes. And not, yours. I don't know. Maybe cause he's like 6'2 and in perfect shape and has perfect features. I don't yeah. know. And is a maybe much, much why. better basketball player than Leonardo DiCaprio. Like much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got here. Can't have everything, Leo. Can't have everything. Yeah, that's right. You can't have All right, let me ask you a question. Because this is uh, Fight Club-esque. We're not quite there to Mm that episode. But as far as those 90s movies, in particular Fincher, like if you were a young man, and especially in the the burgeoning DVD market, I would assume Seven got a lot of play. Because to like a teenage male, it fits into this sort of uh, nihilistic hellscape that you view the world, even mm-hmm. as a Kentucky boy, I'm like, I have no experience with the grim city like this. Like nothing has happened, <laughs> but you enjoy being in that world. If you, if you can enjoy it, you're not meant to enjoy it, but there's a, a version of this like dark reality that you like, that you like seeing fight club, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a smart ass version of that. nihilism. A yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little more jokes, a little more gags than I'm all over it. But one of these, has you know aged better than others and it might surprise you that to me fight club has aged better for me and i wouldn't have expected that i would have expected that's the thing i get i leave behind i can only think that it's the true crime obsession that started almost a decade ago that has made this one harder for me to revisit that it is kind of distasteful for me this is not true crime obviously i gotta say i think we might have talked about this with our expert but i think some of this is fincher's fault the true crime, like the true crime explosion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his filmography, I mean, you got this, you got Zodiac, you got Gone Girl. I mean, there's a lot of, not that Gone Girl is a true story, but it is influenced by the true crime world. Well, um, Gone Girl, I also like the, uh, you know, the, the the person committing the crime. I find to be quite that fetching helps. and charming, and I back to the blood. <laughs> I agree with her all of her assessments of the marriage. Fine with me. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I Okay, so in terms of which one of these has aged better, I think you're right that it's Fight Club, and Fight Club I actually just watched today. But that's a pretty divisive um, one. I think most people would think, like, that's got the college dorm room poster element to it. and So here's here's the thing, is I think people who have issues with Fight Club in general have not watched it in quite a while and have been heavily influenced by assholes on the internet who don't point. know anything about it and keep talking. But as soon as you watch it, uh, it's like, oh, yeah. As soon as you watch it, I mean, it is, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it in our next episode, but it's pretty impactful and resonant today, mm-hmm. um, for sure. So There's a lot going on in there where I'm like, ooh. Getting it back to stings. seven, though, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that Morgan Freeman, the, 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 the wise veteran, is the one who expresses all the sentiment to me at least, that a teenage boy would want to hear. That there's, like, no hope. You know, people are just, you know, it's just like, you can't save them. You know, don't, don't, that great scene with Gwyneth Paltrow where he's like, you know, I don't know if I'd have this baby, but if you do, you know, spoil it. You know, all this, like, he's, he's speaking from a a place of hopelessness, which he's probably earned. (laughs) A teenage boy has not yet earned that. I mean, most teenage boys have not earned that yet. So it's funny to me that, as I get older, I find myself far fonder of the Brad Pitt character. Uh, maybe, maybe, I mean, it's speaking from ignorance from his point of view that he can come in and he can do some good. If he comes in and does his job, 
then he'll make the world a better place. And it's weird to me, you know, the movie for obvious plot reasons punishes him for those very right. thoughts for that. You know, they're, they're framing it as arrogance and oftentimes he is an arrogant character, but I guess as I've gotten older, which is strange coming off those Trump years, maybe if I'd watched this in the last four years, I would have spoken differently, mm-hmm. but right. the Morgan Freeman character kind of gets on my nerves more. And do you think he's supposed to get on your nerves that he's kind of given up on society? I think, I think he gets on your nerves if you're an adult. Hmm. I really do because I think he is in, and for valid reasons, he is in this arrested development for lack of a better term that he endured a, you know, pretty bad romantic history mm-hmm. and pretty bad life history. And he just gave up and he stopped caring. It seems right? like and he didn't very nice engage with the life that he lived. It seems like he was always at a right. distance from it. You know, he was very well read. Uh, he likes to sort of stand back from society and it probably makes him a better cop. Certainly than the Brad Pitt character ever would be. But it, it just was surprising to me that as, you know, a decrepit old man that I am now, I'm like, yeah, Brad Pitt's got the right idea. Right. And I also think um, there were some things cut out of this movie that I learned from the commentary that I was like, actually, that would have made this so much better. Um, is that there there was supposed to be a scene where it's insinuated that Somerset is gay. Um, and that kind of, you know in some ways rubs the Brad Pitt character the wrong way. And he's like, not sure how to act, which makes that sequence when they're, you know, they're getting mic'd up mm. and they're shaving their chest hair. And that, and that makes that such a bigger turn of acceptance mm. um, for Brad Pitt's character and like this sense of growth. And I'm like, Oh man, I wish that was there. Mm-hmm. Cause that really, and it's supposed to be like at the dinner, like he takes out his wallet and a picture accidentally mm. falls out and it's his ex-partner who is a man. And Brad Pitt, of course, is a dumb jock and doesn't know how to react to this. And his wife kind of steps in and saves the day because she's the more, you know, measured and reasonable individual in that partnership. And Someone they kind of has to be the brains in that relationship if you're. Yes. <laughs> and that's yet again, it... that's where I line with Brad Pitt because I'm the guy, you know, I want three dogs. So I come home and I just wrestle with them. I'm like, I just want to yeah. be a caveman. Just come home. <laughs> so... <laughs> this big, dumb idiot. Yeah. This is... <laughs> I mean, and I will say I'm not a big Paltrow fan, but this is a really good performance. Her. I really like I, it. you know, I would, you know, for, for my money, I wish she would have been nominated for this. And normally I'm opposed to like. You know, that, that limited, that, uh, was it, uh, is it like Judy Dench and Shakespeare in Love right, that right. like, I'm going to show up for three minutes or whatever. And, <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah. But here it's like, God, she is, I mean, for obvious plot reasons, I don't know why I'm, I'm talking about this. Like it's a spoiler, which I guess it is. <laughs> What's in the box, right. Mike? <laughs> I, I have to say, I really don't like those, uh, the Blu-rays or DVDs that have like the, the, the box cover or whatever. It's like, yeah, pay your actors the royalties of having their face on there. Put Brad Pitt's face on there. Don't get cute with me. The fucking box thing. Yes, I hate it. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I think that, you know, her presence is all over the movie, uh, yeah. which is so obvious on rewatch, but even, even the first time seeing it through, like before I, you know, clicked with me that like, Oh wait, she might be in danger from the killer they're chasing. Uh, it just emphasizes this sort of, sadness and this distance that this job will like do for these these men is that they're going to spend more time with the fucking freak show with this rogues gallery of of decadence that this man's brought them into and uh you miss paltrow for the second half of the movie notice we've gone a long stretch without talking about the killer himself i was just gonna bring up (laughs) i was just gonna bring up our john doe and i was wondering here's a question for you okay is this the kevin spacey role that ages the best considering 
the awful things that Kevin Spacey did? <sighs> is it is or is it because so so he's, there's two he's ways been to bad. look at this. I think not bad from a talent level. He was extreme. He's extremely talented, you know. Right. But he's also played a lot of assholes. So you could you could probably yeah, go to swimming with sharks. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. there's a lot of yeah, yeah. And this is um, I mean, he's bad, but he's like a cool bad guy. Like he's always in control, and he's like he knows what he's doing, and he's got the plan, and blah blah blah. So does that rub you the, more the wrong way now after kind of everything coming to Look, light about Spacey? No, I mean, it's always rubbed me the wrong way because I, it, it's my own, I don't want to call it a hang up, but like in movies, I'm never really interested in why the villain is doing what he's doing. Like, you know, the, the James Bond monologues are fine because it's just like, all right, time to queue up them getting smacked in the face or, you know, they get right. thrown to the literal <laughs> shark trap or whatever they've set up. Um, but I, I love the scene where, you know, he's not being interrogated because they're on their way to, you know, his, his, his last crime. This, this, these bodies are going to find, but it's the opportunity for the cops to have uh, a heated conversation with him. And I love when the Brad Pitt character cracks him and says, you're a movie of the week. Wait a minute. I thought all you did was kill innocent people. Innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? An obese man? A disgusting man who could barely stand up? A man who, if you saw him on the street, you'd point him out to your friends so that they could join you in mocking him? A man who, if you saw him while you were eating, you wouldn't be able to finish your meal? And after him, I picked the lawyer, and you both must have secretly been thanking me for that one. This is a man who dedicated his life to making money by lying with every breath that he could muster to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets. Murderers. A woman. Murderers, John, like yourself. A woman. So ugly on the inside that she couldn't bear to go on living if she couldn't be beautiful on the outside. A a drug dealer, a a drug-dealing pederast, actually. And let's not forget the disease-spreading whore. Only in a world this shitty... Could you even try to say these were innocent people and keep a straight face? But that's the point. We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's, it's trivial. We tolerate it morning, noon, and night. Well, not anymore. I'm setting the example. And what I've done is going to be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. Yeah. Illusions of grandeur. You should be thanking me. Why is that, John? Because you're going to be remembered after this. Realize, Detective... The only reason that I'm here right now is that I want it to be. No. No, we would have got you eventually. Oh, really? So, what were you doing? Biding your time? Toying with me? Allowing five innocent people to die until you felt like springing your trap? Tell me, what was the indisputable evidence you were going to use on me right before I walked up to you and put my hands in the air? John, calm down. I seem to remember us knocking on your door. Oh, that's right. 
and I seem to remember breaking your face. You're only alive because I didn't kill you. Okay, sit back. I spared you. Sit back! Remember that, Detective, every time you look in the mirror at that face of yours for the rest of your life. Or should I say, for the rest of what life sit I've back. allowed you to have? Sit back, you fucking freak! Shut your fucking mouth! You're no messiah. You're a, you're a movie of the week. You're a fucking t-shirt. At best. And I, I, I've always felt that way. Now, we're talking about a fictionalized killer here, but I, you know, it was funny to me that when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, some of the conversations I had uh, with people was like, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with, like, you know, making the Manson family a joke. And I'm like, I'm very comfortable with making them a joke. <laughs> like, and that's not to take away from the actual tragedy of good people who lost their lives um, right. just, you know having a party in their house with these home invaders, but I have zero respect for people whose infamy is based on just killing innocent people. Yeah. And it's, and what's the other option glorifying? Right. I mean, like, I don't find them them interesting, I guess is my point. So it's Mm. impressive to me that I like seven as much as I do, because this should be like the biggest sin to me is like, well, what, what's the motivation by this fucking freak that, you know, keeps journals with no dates, with no, no numbers in his, in his books and just nonsense. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really impressive because otherwise I would be like, I don't give a shit. I don't care. Catch him. And that's it. That's right. all I'm concerned with. So, um, no, I would not say that, you know, what's happened to Kevin Spacey, that the fact that he's the pure evil in this has helped it. Um, to me, it's just it's the performances and the characterization of both Pitt and Freeman that has always carried it for me. And but yeah, you're right. I, I have a memory, a vague memory of like Kevin Spacey being nominated for like best villain at like the MTV Movie Awards, which is like that is like the the people who it's all you get that that that's for the people who like think Fight Club is like a fucking joke for twelve year olds. That's. You know, at one time, Seven was nominated for Best Villain. <laughs> it's just like, okay, <laughs> it can happen to this film as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I also just started thinking about, in some ways, how impressive this movie is given where Fincher was in his career. You know, Alien 3 happened, complete and utter failure. He left the set more than once, was eventually basically fired. And then created this, which I think is, I mean, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think it has some flaws, but I also think it's like a highly, like enjoyable feels like the wrong word because it's yeah, so grim but it and is. so dark, but it's, but it's very watchable. Yes. Yeah, okay, you know, it's a movie you can, weirdly, it's a movie I could just kind of put on regardless of mood, even though it starts with literally a man eating himself to death. Like that is, I mean, yeah. it does really test you. Like for, it doesn't like, uh, I think a lot of movies, like this, if you were going to do the seven deadly sins, it kind of lead in with something not as awful, but this does the Wes Craven thing where it's like, we're going to give you something horrible to start with and see if you can handle it. And then we're going to go from there. Um, and it starts off pretty rough and it doesn't get better. I mean, it does get more brutal as it goes on, but that first crime scene is pretty it, harrowing it would, and pretty rough to watch. It would probably, you know, unless your hands start with like the, the lawyer being killed like yeah, not that that's exactly. like a sexy kill but you know it, it but it's simple it has that uh movie of the week or procedural episode like oh the you know the crooked attorney you know, gets his as far as like just an, a man who has offended 
this uh, nut job because he's overweight. It's really hard to get behind as far as like, well, that's, yeah, that's that's something I want to watch on CBS this week. Like a man yeah, is forced to eat himself exactly. to death. Uh, of course, I've not, I've never watched an episode of CSI. That was probably like half a season. They probably did right. 12 episodes right. related to crimes <laughs> like that. I don't know. Um, it's, you know, I, I keep going back. It's a credit to, um, uh, Brad Pitt because I knew, I knew he was heavily involved in keeping the ending. Like he wouldn't agree to do it because they, they really wanted to change the ending to make it where there was a possibility, like one last action sequence, like race against the clock to like save Paltrow's character and Pitt threw his weight around and said, no, I'm doing the, the original script. That's what I signed up for. And thankfully on like last episode, Fincher had a script. Uh, yeah, an actual yeah. script, yes. So, you know, it, and it's something I look forward to with the rest of this, you know, month and a half that we're doing this, is I always love when directors team up with, like, a, a movie star that can provide that sort uh-huh. of backing to them, which, at a certain point, Fincher no longer needed, but it was touch and go, especially right. once we get after, you know, Fight Club, he was still having, you know, disasters. That was something that was going to bring yes. back, bring down 20th Century Fox. That was like his ultimate revenge from Alien, is that he gave them Fight Club, and they had no idea what to do with it. So, But yeah, Seven, I mean, there's no way around it. It was a big hit, and it's had a lasting legacy. Like, it's inspired numerous TV and, and films afterwards, and mm-hmm. uh, even people like, you know, my youngest brother, who I wouldn't say is a cinephile, you know, he, he knew Seven from probably a far too young age. I was like, oh, that's a, right. that's a movie I've got to watch. Right. Yeah. And so two things I thought of, you know, as as you were talking is one that, you know, it is a procedural, but I like that it kind of throws a wrench in it because you're expecting like, oh, it's going to be a procedural and eventually they're going to track him down and they're going to figure it out and they're going to catch him. And really, it all kind of comes to a head because the villain comes to them because he has a job to finish that involves them. Like they they track him down, kind of, but it's got a schedule. He's on the clock. Right. Yeah. But as he says, you know, I do recall breaking your face. So it didn't really end well for our heroes until he comes into the police station uh, and screams at them uh, to put him in the back of the squad car. So um, and and the 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 other piece is that um, in our first episode, I put in this clip of, you know, Fincher talking about Alien 3. And he said, you know, I just listened to the wrong people. These people told me don't work with your friends. Don't do this, which is a very kevin smith thing we got to get back to bringing kevin smith into this podcast are we ever gonna do a uh, kevin smith month or just, is every month kevin smith month i think i think when we decide to end the podcast <laughs> kevin smith gets kevin the last smith, month it's, it's gonna wrap it up with the true auteur <laughs> kevin smith. boy i can't wait to get to the um, yoga hosers episode that'll be a blast uh, yeah um so i like the fact like like you mentioned that he ends up working with brad pitt at least a few more times and he kind of learned his lesson. He was like, oh, I actually, I can make good movies if I just work with people who get me. And you can tell when you hear Brad Pitt talk about Fincher and vice versa, like they get one another. Like they get the wavelength that they're on and they work really well together. It's like he found his blonde muse uh, and it was Brad Pitt. It's <laughs> <laughs> all it takes really have a successful filmmaking career is just get Brad Pitt to be like, yeah, I'll say yes get, to this guy. Get the biggest star in the universe yeah. to be in your movies. Yeah, it helps. To have him on <laughs> on a speed dial is uh, pretty nice. Um, yes. I don't know if I've got anything else on, on 7. I kind of want to move to the game because... Well, uh we could transfer over to another major male star. That's a good, uh, yeah. Michael Douglas. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Starring in the game. Um, but it's definitely not, you know... Michael Douglas is not the star I think of when I think of Fincher. 
And I, I don't think he's been in any other of his movies, has he? It's just the one, the kind of one and done, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I don't want to get into how Hollywood treats women. And actually, we can get into that with the game, because Jodie Foster was supposed to play the, the Sean Penn role, and that was... Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Not a good look uh, for for Douglas, um, because she was supposed to play his daughter, and Ooh. he suggested <laughs> she be his ex lover, and she said no. Oh, my that God. our age. I mean, she held her ground. She's like that would not line up. I mean, you were in uh, what was it the China Syndrome? I never saw it. Was it like the nuclear thriller, like in the seventies? Yep. And I was a twelve year old prostitute and taxi driver at that time. So no, I would yeah. not be your lover, and uh, it didn't work out. So what I was going to say though is Michael Douglas for a time fit a particular type of role of a man of a certain age. Like he carried his looks for uh, a long time. <laughs> Maybe I, because of what he did to Jodie Foster, I can say that. And then he fell off a cliff. I mean, he's also like, how old is Michael Douglas now? A thousand. He's <laughs> okay. But he looked like the same for like, Two decades. He, did. he like yes. Agreed. It's almost like he made a conscious choice of like he's seventy six. We're like, well, it's time for the white hair. It's time for me to be an old man. Like most of us don't get that choice, Mister Douglas. So I can talk a little bit of shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm in my forties, and he was born the year after my father. So he's he's up there. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> for the game, you know, he's he's doing a Michael Douglas type part you know he played mm -hmm. cold really well um we like him from our verhoven month where he he plays like uh what did i say just like constantly horny and confused and basic instinct <laughs> yeah. that's my Douglas. the most relatable he's ever yeah been. i i get <laughs> that um but yeah you know playing incredibly rich uh and, you know his life is like sort of perfectly calculated as are all of his interactions with everyone else. He comes in, uh, he's always got the winning hand in scenes. It's a movie star part. You know, it's something mm -hmm. Robert Redford would want to play, but he would want to play it where he's the nice guy. He'd want to play it where everyone likes him. Um, right. Douglas to his credit <laughs> liked playing roles where he, even though he was the protagonist and lead, he wasn't necessarily likable in a lot of these lead yeah. roles. And See, so it fits like a glove and maybe this is just, you know, <laughs> if Brad Pitt was old enough to pull this off, Fisher would have gone with him. But it's like, get me a Douglas type. Oh, wait, can I get Michael Douglas? Okay, let's do it. Right. Um, See, I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought this okay. up because all I kept thinking about as I'm watching this movie for probably I think I probably watched it three or four times, like in total since it first came out. It's a movie I've, you know, owned that it, it's a strange movie for Criterion to 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 have, but I'm glad that they do. Because it's actually like a fun movie. That's to what watch. I was about to say. Uh, like, <laughs> I wish they had more of these type of thrillers in there. Yeah, I, I love it. It feels like a it feels like a stars movie rather Ooh, than a yes, criterion. it does. Mm, it does. Glamorous stars so, movie. So, so all I kept thinking about as I'm watching this, actually, strangely enough, is Nancy Myers. Okay. So when we did our Nancy Myers month back when we were just doing months, like <laughs> trying to cram everything that into was one probably month, a mistake, but yeah, probably yes. Um, I talked about the idea that. Myers is so good at casting, like she she casts known commodities, right? If you need kind of a womanizing jackass, you get Jack Nicholson, right? yeah. And that's the that's the same thing here because you you need an actor who he's your protagonist. He's going to be a little bit cold, and you kind of have to be okay with a lot of bad shit happening to him 
throughout the movie. So he has to be like not quite so likable. He can't be a Robert Redford. He can't be a Brad Pitt. He's got to be a little bit reserved. So who do you get? Uh, you get um, uh, you know, the guy from Wall Street, right? So we don't mind some bad shit happening to him, you know. And we'll show, we'll show some growth and we'll see where we are by the end of the movie. But if you have a really likable man in this role, the first forty minutes of this movie, I think a lot of people turn on it because they're like, I don't want to watch all these awful things happen to Robert Redford. It's why I have a distaste for um home invasion movies, even though we're we're gonna have one, uh, I believe, <laughs> next yep. week. Um, yep. Because usually it's just watch this uh, family get terrorized. And I know that's kind of the point of something like funny games. that they're But like for no reason. Like, right. <laughs> like and it, you know, they're nice people. Why are we doing and, this? And, you know, from like a like an intellectual uh, side of it, like with funny games, I can understand that they're they're sort of toying with like your belief system. And what ha- this is what happens to characters in movies. Like no matter how bad it gets, there's always going to be a way out. And boy, are they going to prove you wrong with that? Uh, joy fest uh, if you ever get the pleasure of watching those you know either one of those particular films the english language one or the original but um it's an interesting point because you're right with douglas uh because he's uh never playing the everyman i don't i don't know if he ever has i, I feel like i don't think so uh and i kind of i can't think of admire that about him because he comes from privilege and wealth and it's like <laughs> he right. wears on I know sleeve. who I am. Yeah. Um you you know, you, you enjoy seeing him get the, the shit kicked out of him, which he does on a lot of his successful films. Fatal Attraction you know, I don't think anybody thinks we want the, his family to be terrorized or their their pet to be savaged, but he also kind kinda earns you kinda don't <laughs> mind that dude being under duress. And, uh, yeah, I have fond memories of this one. This was, uh, cause my birthday's in September. So especially being in Kentucky, there are not a lot of good movies coming out in mid September. That's, that's like one of the, I think if you look up the definition of dump months, uh, mm-hmm. it's listed January, February, August, September dump months. And so this one came out September 12th, 1997. And it's just a tradition. My dad would take me to the movies. Like, it's like, what's your birthday movie going to be? And I'm like, Hey, it's the director of seven. It's his follow up. So it, I was, this might as well have been Citizen Kane for me. I'm like, Oh, Jesus. Like, I'm getting this, but also like a troubling sign that's like, wait, did they not have like a clear market for this movie? <laughs> um, this is one that I actually think if there was theatrical, um, you know, you could even say if this one, like, was a Netflix original now, I think this would, like, be a bigger hit now than it was then. I think the concept, you know, people are far more interested in the sort of gamesmanship of the, like, you know, that sort of old-fashioned cliffhanger, what's going to happen next. And mm-hmm. I remember there was some pushback to this after 7, where it's like, eh, it's kind of goofy, and, you know, the ending doesn't make any sense, and, uh, like, just all that, you know, nitpicky kind of bullshit um, this movie to me is, it's the ride itself. Like, don't, don't get into the mm-hmm. weeds of how this would work. This would never work. This, there's no, I don't care how, Who cares? I don't care how, um, expensive watch, their client list watch is. watch the fucking Truman show if you want, if you want explanations. Don't watch that. But even that, it's like, you know, just, Jesus, like Truman show, are there people saying like, oh, come on, they couldn't build like something the size of Florida. Like, what, what are they doing here? Like, that's, you're just missing the point. And this one is, probably the one I've rewatched the most of Fincher movies. And I think, you know, you nailed my sensibilities. It's it's the stars thriller effect. Yeah. Michael Douglas in yeah. a thriller. It's just a lot of fun. And because it is got, it's got that eat the rich mentality. I never feel too mm-hmm. bad. I don't feel like in seven, we're just picking on 
you know, you're, you're picking on a sex worker. You're picking on, uh, you know, someone who's made fun of for his weight. Like seven is incredibly mean spirited to me. Um, yes. and it's fine cause it's, you know, it's a serial killer's point of view committing these acts, but that's why I don't want to listen to his fucking bullshit. But, <laughs> you know, people fucking with Michael Douglas and him not knowing mm. if they're like on the it's level good. the entire time. It, this movie is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It, it is. I was actually, cause I, it's been a long time since I watched this. Like my last watch was quite a while ago. So I basically, I basically forgot all the plot points. Like I knew the, the kind of broad strokes, like, okay, it's a, it's a game and it's in real life and he's never sure what's what. And that's kind of it. That's all I really remembered. And I was just like, man, this, this was an easy movie to put my phone away and just get in. Side question. Like I was, uh-huh. do you remember kind of, I mean, I don't think it was like the game, the film swept, you know, took the nation by storm, but I still remember there, there was an attempt at some of these type of games, not the, the film itself, but where it's like you would be involved with, actual like actors like calling you or sending you emails and all this stuff and much like fight club i'm like yeah did you learn nothing because you're actually like unlike douglas you don't have time to like do the little like blues clues with these people you're probably still going to fucking work and you've got, <laughs> right. you got people spamming your house and sending you fucking shit in your mailbox i'm like that you you took the wrong uh impression from this that it's a yeah yeah, you know, the, the rich are obviously different animals. Every time we see a celebrity have a meltdown, or it's like, wow, you got everything in the world, and you decided you don't want to be entertaining. Let's set it on fire. <laughs> and that's that's why I like this movie because it's a guy mm-hmm. that has had everything so controlled in his life that the only thing that's going to get the the blood rushing to the nether regions again is like, what if I just gave up access to my life? What if I just let someone right. just pick over everything in my head, everything I've done? It's a terrifying concept, uh, you know, which I guess we could get into with the social network comes up where everyone, every <laughs> common idiot decide, yes, take all of my life stories and let me hand that over for data mining. But if it's Michael <laughs> Douglas doing it and paying for the pleasure, very fun, very fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, also, you brought up this idea of like Michael Douglas basically looking the same for about twenty five mm-hmm. years, which is absolutely true. You know who hasn't looked the same for twenty five years? Sean Penn. I was shocked when he showed up in this movie. I was like, oh yeah, Sean Penn was like a good looking guy for a there while. There's a pretty there. quick drop here because uh, Mystic River is only six years later, and he looks dramatically yeah. different in Mystic River. Absolutely, and I also think he's a perfect choice for this particular character. Like, it just kind of smarmy and kind of like desperate. <laughs> and but still kind of charming in a weird way. Like you're still kind of like oh, I could see how he gets by in in his life. Like I, I get it. Uh, but you also get why a character played by Michael Douglas is like, oh god, this fucking guy again. Like he's my brother, but I do not want to deal with his nonsense. Like because everything in his life is so controlled, and he's so different from that. Uh, so and I like well, the fact that they turn that into a sibling relationship rather because I guess you know originally it was. You know, next lover, and then it became a friend from college, and it's like, is that connection really there? But when you have a sibling, I think you understand it a little bit more. Are you, I swear, Dave, you you are just a woman hating machine. Like, you know, I've got to pick all the female filmmakers, and I give this whole thing about how Jenny no, Foster listen, was screwed because listen. she wouldn't play his ex lover, and you're <laughs> like, you know what's better? That it's a man. That it's Sean Penn. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying is originally they were going to have that, which I did not know about. But what I did know about is before they decided to make it this brother character, they were going to have him be like an old friend from college. And there's just not that connection. 
right? And with a sibling, you're like, okay, I get why you're going to go the extra mile for well, this idiot. Because uh, you have a you have there, a responsibility for him. A, um, Dad wasn't there. You, for there's an implied jealousy that, like, look, Douglas has done everything by the book. He's done everything correct, probably with his his father's eyes, as far as continuing that tradition of being a you know and a master of the universe, as we've talked about with just Michael Douglas that screen persona. And would it make any damn difference if you were the black sheep, like Sean Penn? fucks around, you know, probably goes skiing, does this silly fucking game. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter. So I always read it that there's a little bit of jealousy of the, from the older brother. That's like, why, why did I try so hard to, to, to match up to this man that, you know, this, this, this tragic presence in their life. And this guy is just, just fucking smoking, getting drunk and being like, yeah, hey, why don't you, couldn't get you like a PlayStation, so how about I get you this little, you know, role playing, this LARPing game <laughs> you can have fun with. Get out there with the foam swords and go to town, Douglas. <laughs> we'll probably never do role models on this. I don't know who that director is, uh, but I, I don't know if we'll get, I don't know if we'll get LARPing back into this. So I got to take my shot yeah, where I can. Yeah, for sure. No, but I think that that jealousy is there, and I think that is a big piece of the character growth of of Michael Douglas's character is figuring out that he actually cares about people and he cares about himself. Cause like, early- let's get to the ending. Okay. The ending, which, okay. So the ending, which a lot of people hate, um, yes. I've heard a lot of They're backlash. Stupid. Uh, our mutual friend Webb, uh, co-host of trilogy and theory told me that the ending of the game was so bad that they should have stopped cinema and started over. Like everything before this doesn't exist. Okay, it that's- ruined cinema Kurosawa right. and Hitchcock don't exist anymore because the game's ending was so bad. The- I like that the game has that power myself. Good. Yeah. I like that apparently the game ending is Thanos snapping his fingers apparently. and just wiping out I, cinema. I like the ending. He, this movie is a Christmas carol. It's supposed to have a happy ending. It's set up. Okay, so I I saw that. I saw Fincher kind of compare it to that. And I heard Webb... Uh, I think Webb, I don't know if he sent me a picture or how the game came up, because I certainly wasn't promoting a podcast directed by uh, my you know, my secret shame yes. that I get publicly do <laughs> you know, every week if I must. Um, but I did eventually say, well, I'm getting ready to cover it, and let me tell you how you're wrong. Uh, to me, if I was uh, still doing like uh, original remake episodes, or even War Machine vs. Wars, where I kind of get off the beaten path... Um, I would have this one paired with It's a Wonderful Life mm. because it's a man yeah, I love it. reflecting on, you know, his, his reach, if you will, mm-hmm. in this community. And Douglas, you know, in, instead of having an angel come and show him, like, if you were pulled out of existence, here's your impact. Uh, they just systematically are going to take everything away from him to strip him down to where he's removed himself from his own life. He is, he is like just been broken down to nothing. It's very military like, mm-hmm. and, and they reshape him, uh, so much so that yes, he is pushed to, uh, reenact a family tragedy. And boy, uh, props to Douglas that after what is for him a real suicide attempt, a commitment to ending his life, He's able to hang out the bar, glad hand people, and be like, hey, thanks for coming to my game party. Like, <laughs> I've always been impressed that he's been able to deal with that shock and trauma and just be like, but if, if you're Douglas, also, there has to be a little bit of ego of like, 
you know, even in my attempt to kill myself, it ends with hurrahs yes, and claps. Yes, I still get drinks and, champagne. and cigars. It's great. <laughs> you know, I think that's why the scene where he hugs his mother and breaks down is so important. Because I think without that moment, I think the rest of it rings really hollow. Because it still is a very nice life and at a very nice party. And if you don't have him breaking down in tears and realizing how much he actually does care about the people in his life, then I think all the lessons are gone. Like you need. Well, that I would moment. say it's how much he actually cares about his life. Cause it's a man who's unlike, it's a wonderful life where, you know, there's uh you know, there's financial strain. There's no financial strain here other than the one he puts on himself right. with this little game, uh, paying for the pleasure of it. Uh, you get the impression. It's a man who has developed a disdain for his own existence. Yeah. I mean, he's achieved everything supposedly he wanted, and so it's just an interesting flip for me of It's a Wonderful Life. So mm-hmm. this isn't exactly our Christmas Day episode, but it will be out uh, the week before Christmas. Yeah. So I hope people you know enjoy it. And I, I love weird Christmas movies, so I put this one up there with like Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. I'm fine with that. And sh- shout out to Hyro. We did do an episode on Go. It's like our fifth discussion on Go for Marcus <laughs> Played. So go ahead and check that out. Um, and on Trilogy and Theory. I'm doing Christmas month as well. Nice. And, uh, we got LA Confidential in there, which Dave and I, mm. I think, discussed at length on Pop Culture Case. Oh, Day. yeah. At probably like an hour or two of discussion on that movie, because it's great. But you know what? It's a movie that deserves it. I agree. So, absolutely. So, uh, we're clearly not doing that for seven of the game, because <laughs> they have to share the, the double <laughs> feature right. bill. So, speaking of people who, people and things that deserve a little bit of shine, I think, uh, the performances of Deborah Kara Unger in this movie, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, I, I think she's great. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that she uh, did not. What uh, happened? Go on like, to... I'm watching this movie and I'm looking at her and watching her performance, and I'm like, this might be the best performance in this movie. She's really good. What yeah, happened? She's got a a, a classic uh, screen presence. The only thing I can figure is, you know, when you look at her choices, I you know, like with most things in Hollywood or life. Uh, you know, women are far more punished for having idiosyncratic taste. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're oh, payback, uh, yeah. if you're Ryan Gosling, well, I'm looking at stuff like, you know, Sunshine, Signs of Wonder, I don't know what that is, The Salt and Sea, which I rewatched earlier this year, which is the, you know, uh, meth head movie that the I think opened Val up Kilmer against, movie. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, opened up against Attack of the Clones. So Ooh. yeah, that's, uh, talk not about a wise, dump, but yeah, that's. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, most of the stuff, it's like, you know, smaller films. Yeah. And I hope that this is just by choice because she, she has an old school femme fatale quality to her. All I kept she, thinking is Hitchcock. Like, like she should be in a Hitchcock movie. She would have been a Hitchcockian blonde. Yeah. And, you know, if, if the timing had, you know, synced up better where, uh, Gillian Flynn had maybe written Gone Girl been writing, then you could easily see her playing that part. I did have that moment where I'm like, yeah, Fincher has a type. Like this is <laughs> well. Did you know in uh, Panic Room when Nicole Kidman was originally cast and then had to leave for uh, I think various reasons. I heard she was hurt. Hurt. You know, th- there's all sorts of things going on. Panic Room was apparently was a hugely troubled production. I can't wait to get into it. I don't know why Panic Room is like. I can't wait till we talk Panic Room because no one talks about. Uh, it. I mean, it's <laughs> uh, Nicole Kidman was cast as the the type from Fincher was uh, Hitchcockian blonde. In Panic Room, and want her to be very cold, which Ugh. that is a very different movie with a mother daughter relationship where you have this cold, distant mother. And I think I kind of would have been into it. I think so. Too. Uh, I have a type, yes, as well. You do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, it was interesting because, you know, I had, you know, brought up our Fincher watch on my, on my Twitter account, like posted a picture of all the movies that we're going to be watching. And the two movies that got like the negative reactions were Panic Room and The Game. Um, so I kind of had that in my head as I'm putting the game in. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. I haven't watched it in like 10 years. Maybe I, and then I watched it. I'm like, this fucking rules. What are you talking about? This is and here great. comes Mike. It's like, you know, the two movies I want to talk about the most. Right. The hated, yeah. you are the anti-Twitter cinephile, which fits. I mean, that sounds like I don't right. know if Panic Room has ever been reclaimed, but certainly the, you know, the game has a Criterion edition now. So that, that did flip at some point. Um, yeah. Personally, I think it was when <laughs> after Fight Club uh, that, you know, the people that uh, hated the demographic of the Fight Club fandom was like, no, 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 we def- let's find something else. The game. Now, that's where it's at. <laughs> you, know, you get to play the high fidelity hipster card. Sure. Uh, but I was there with my dad on my birthday. I was there opening weekend. And, uh, yeah, I, I love this one. This is one I rewatched the most of Fincher. Um, but Social Network will be pretty close. Because I think the the craft is there. Like, whether you like the story or not, whether it really jives with you, like, you can't argue the kind of professionalism and the look of his movies are kind of top tier. It's kind of as good as you're going to get. And some of that is because, you know, he's reportedly a complete pain in the ass to work with and, you know, does 900 takes. But, like, he gets really good quality work out of it and gets really good quality work out of his actors. Like, that's the thing that you notice is most actors who go on record about Fincher speak about him in glowing terms like just like you know i don't know how he does it but like he gets stuff out of me that i like i was listening to the commentary on the game and michael douglas talked about how great of a director he is and this is someone who's worked with greats and worked with greats for a long time so it it holds a lot of weight it's not just like oh well i worked him once on alien 3 and he was really mad but he really knows what he's doing with the camera like this is like this is michael douglas so it was it was interesting to hear that because he like Talk to Michael Douglas about what he likes in terms of how he likes to come into a scene. And he organized his his set in that way to make his actor the most comfortable he can be so he can get these great performances. So he really does seem to have a gift of that and seems to have a gift of like engaging with people on set, which is not something you think of when you think of Fincher. You think of like, oh, well, he does all these takes and he's really tough and blah, blah, blah. But like he's also like really friendly and really funny. Like, if you listen to him in interviews and listen to him interact with his friends, you're like, I kept, I listened to these commentaries and I just kept thinking, like, man, I just want to have a beer with that guy. That guy seems like a good time. Like, I want to hang out with David Fincher. That would be great. I know you're a fan of the white male director, Dave. You don't have to go that far. Um, Jesus. All right. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> get some is great. All right. so, female perspective in this so, joint soon. Uh, soon but not yet uh because our next episode um will be on i guess the very uh male focused fight club um <laughs> yep. and and you know the not so male focused panic room so we get you know we get a little bit of balance uh but yeah. i think it's uh it's gonna be interesting to it's talk good about jody foster yes finally jody foster jody foster gets to be in a fincher movie after michael douglas ruined it for her. um so that's so that's something uh but i think it'll be very interesting to talk about fight club uh during christmas um the uh the biggest uh financial spending time of the year so that'll be <laughs> that'll be interesting for sure you're, you're trying to make it work you know we had, we had the <laughs> christmas movie with the game 
And you know, if we got to the growth of Dragon Tattoo, that was you know that would be nope. Christmassy with the nope. snow. It was a big Christmas release, part nope. of the trailer, the marketing push, a feel bad movie for Christmas. Yes. Nope. We're doing Fight Club. We're doing we're Panic Fuck Club. Christmas Fight Club. Yep. That's what we're doing. Yep. Yes. So if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Directed by Pod. And if you'd like to get some of those bonus episodes or get episodes early, whenever that tends to happen, which is you know. I don't know, once or twice a month it happens, so, you know, you get a little bit of extra. Uh, you get it early. You can uh, donate any amount of money at patreon.com slash a podcast directory.